Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. I'm always glad when Pastor Colton sends me something to read, not because I necessarily agree with every single word of it, but because it's always thought-provoking, no matter what. And this reading... um, It's definitely thought-provoking. So I invite you to sit back and think about the committee inside your mind. We're going to hear about this committee in this reading by Marsha McPhee. There is a committee inside my head, all seemingly a part of me, of who I am, and yet at times I feel I am at war with myself, within myself, until I feel I am without myself. Sometimes I wander among the committee, among what feels like ruins, pondering, wondering, whatever happened to disjoint, disturb, disrupt this whole that is me. There is a committee inside my head. A simple decision becomes a giant task. A relationship becomes so complicated. A dream dies. Fear gets the better of me. I fly off the handle. I quash my passion. I wallow in uncertainty. This committee is recognizable. I try each one on for size and they all fit. The realist and the dreamer collide but they're separated by the wall which I construct in order to protect each piece. But what happens if they are allowed to dance with one another? The realist fine-tuning and the dreamer urging on? The eager and spontaneous irritates the orderly, but they are frozen as I fight to defend the rights of both. But what happens if they are allowed to dance with one another? Order and spontaneity combine, birthing creativity. Impatience meets with stubbornness, and the nonconformist makes demands. And all the while, the mediator pleads frighteningly, afraid of the passion which lives within. But what if they dance, play, push and pull that turns to give and take? What if they are allowed this relating? What if they are allowed this joy? Can I let go? Not of my committee, but can I let go of my own tight grip around the throat of my own potential? Potential fire, passion, caring, groundedness, freedom, love? Can I see that which is holy and fine? That which is me and you made in the image of God. Today's scripture comes to us from the message adaption of the Bible, and it's especially good to experience this story. And so, however you can do that, 
So so you can see the story with your mind's eye, I encourage you to do so. As we experience these words from Mark 1, 1 to 15, maybe in a new way. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message, begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert, prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wild preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him throughout Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit, tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. As he preached, he said the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life into a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The moment he came out of the water, he saw the sky split open. And God's spirit, looking like a dove, came down on him, along with the spirit, a voice. You are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. At once, the same spirit pushed Jesus out into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by Satan. Wild animals were his companions, and angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the message of God. Time's up. God's kingdom is here. Change your life and believe the message. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, Switch us up. Break open our hearts of stone. Replace them with holy clay that you mold and shape and make into something new. Your people are listening. And so help these words become your living word. The power and the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Like many of us, I have friends, and one of my friends used to smoke cigarettes. And like some of us, he quit, although he had to actually quit twice. He first learned to smoke as a young adult working at a gas station, and all the little boxes behind him eventually piqued his curiosity enough that he wanted to know what he was selling, and an experiment soon developed into a habit, and a habit into an addiction, And then he stopped for all the reasons that one is supposed to stop smoking. 
He did the hard work to kick that habit, and he helped to make that, that urge, that feeling in and out in the hours and the days subside. My friend had cut cigarettes out of his life for about a year when he decided he had things under control. He wasn't a smoker anymore. Surely he could have a cigarette every now and then when he was with friends or while he was enjoying a beer. Those don't count. You probably see where this is going. I already tipped you off. One cigarette every now and then became two, became a few, and soon he was back to smoking. So my friend explained it to me. Some, you know, some people can smoke every now and then, pick it up, put it down. But for some of us in this world, and frankly many when it comes to nicotine, once those pathways are carved in the brain for addiction, there's no option for casual social smoking. That switch gets flipped back on. And all of those old habits, those cravings, those chemical pathways that respond to nicotine and everything else, they come right back to life like the quitting never happened. I strongly suspect to truly quit smoking after addiction or to quit drinking after addiction or the many of the other ways in which we form our bodies to need something. My friend needed not one but two changes inside and outside. We often notice the outside changes, those literal habits, those behaviors, the actual stopping of the smoking changing patterns, not falling into traps or triggers, that change is the one we can so easily say, yep, the man has changed. He quit. But the other change is what got him through quitting the second and final time. He had to decide he didn't just have a habit. He had to call it what it was. It was an addiction. He had to change the way he talked about himself to himself as somebody who was marked by a chemical dependency. He had to change on the inside, too. He had to change the way he thought about himself and his addiction. He had to know himself in a different way. And when we're talking about real, lasting change, we're often talking about change both ways. On the outside, but also on the inside. As we continue our back-to-school worship series, Reshaped, about how we humans are made for change, I think it's helpful that we just highlight this fact right here at the beginning. When we talk about change, we're not just talking about the things we do, not just the things we think, not just who we are. But when we make a change in our lives, we're talking about all of it and more. That's why John the baptizer's words are so powerful and so scary at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Our Bible has four stories about the life of Jesus, his ministry, his passion. We call them gospels in the church. And unlike Luke and Matthew, we have these beautiful stories about the conception and birth of Jesus and angels and shepherds, and we add in a donkey and some sheep whenever we have the children's pageant. We have John, who writes a poetic meditation about the pre-existing Word of God. Mark is different. Mark gets right knee-deep in the beginning. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message begins here. 
begins with an untamed preacher who wore camel skin and eats locusts and wild honey. Jesus begins with John the baptizer. Kind of hard to know what to do with John. He's weird. And he's gruff. And he looks like a wild man. He is a wild man. But here's the thing. I think he's scary. And I don't think we're scared of John the Baptist because of the clothes he wears or the food he eats or even because he's confrontational. Workaday street preachers can do that. And generally, not often in El Reno, but sometimes in Oklahoma City or in other big cities, we're generally not afraid of street preachers with their signs and their microphones as long as we're sure that they're not going to be violent. As long as we're sure of that, they're a nuisance. Or they make us uncomfortable, but we're not afraid of them. Not, not like I am with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is scary because he's not offering one easy change. John the Baptist, to me, is horrifying because he's warning us that real, complete, unrelenting change is coming over and over and over again with Jesus. And for me and my kind of comfortable, rather privileged life that's very well curated and cultivated, I don't really want to change that much. Thank you very much. If this was just about taking a little dip in the river, about having John dunk me so God don't flunk me, that's easy. If it's just signing up, sending a check, taking a pill, that's easy. If it's just making a post online or saying a prayer or showing up for an hour, even an hour once a week, even an hour once a week on a Sunday morning, that's easy. That's not what John's offering. And it's certainly not what he's warning those people at the Jordan River about. Change both ways is coming. Change on the outside and on the inside. Like my friend who had to quit smoking twice, real change requires a real transformation. And that's what Jesus is bringing. That's what John tells us is coming, ready or not. We're engaging in this worship series for several reasons, but let me assure you, it's not because there's a major plan of change upcoming in the life of the church. You can go ahead and wipe that sweat off your brow. There's no major announcement happening in this worship series. This isn't preparation for any of that. But it is happening because change is one of the hardest things in our lives. It is in our, and it's happening faster and faster and faster. Every one of you tell me this. And I think every generation on earth has said it, and they've all been right, because the rate of speed keeps getting faster and faster and faster when we're talking about change. We're having to learn and adapt. We're having to figure it out. Our cultural moment is marked by conflict, dis-ease, and suffering. And there are many reasons for that, too numerous to name. And I can assure you, we don't agree on all of them. But one of those factors is our inability to adapt to the rapid speed of change around us. 
And frankly, we have all had a lot of experience in these last few years with bad change. Change that was only on the inside or only on the outside, not complete transformation, just enough change to make problems. We've witnessed change that might have brought about some better behavior, but it was paired with that same mean old spirit. We've seen some change where there's some big heart stuff happening, but that new spirit leads to no new action. Did anything really happen? And we have had change that we resent, change that was forced on us, change that we never actually accepted, and we will tell you about this if you ever give us five minutes of your time. We can think of all sorts of bad change. And, of course, you know that the church is the poster child for being very, very bad at change. After all, yuck, yuck, how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Wait, you mean we have to change light bulbs? That's our well-earned stereotype. It's not a surprise, but it is disappointing because we follow this Jesus who begs us to make changes. I think we so easily fall into this trap because we don't recognize the depth of the change that Jesus and John are offering when we hear that call of John at the River Jordan, it's almost like we are treating it as a pop-up on our phone or a computer. Updates needed. Do you accept? Yes? No? Remind me later. But that's not what it is. It's not a patch. It's not an update. Not even a new app. It's a whole new operating system. John is paving the way for Jesus to invite us into a life where we are in relationship with the creative transformational, changing God. I think sometimes when we hear about this Jesus, we think that he offers us a change that's just one decision, one change, one time. That believing in this gospel and this message and this good news is a singular choice, a change we will make just once. That's not the Jesus that's going to say, take up your cross and follow me. That's not the Jesus who leads us on a journey on the way of discipleship from the Sea of Galilee to a Roman cross and to life eternal. That's not the Jesus who calls us to be changed from the inside out, friends. Now, as I mentioned last week, there are three reasons we change. Most of the time because of crisis or chance, which means the change is forced on us. But sometimes, sometimes we change because we've made a choice. Sometimes we choose change. And we don't often make that choice to change because we are afraid of the loss. So how do we do better about embracing this way of following Jesus that requires us to always be changing as we journey with God? How do we do better about choosing the change that God offers to us in every season of life? There's a lot of ways to visualize how we change, but I really like this one. It's called the change cycle. Um, in this understanding, there are six stages, but they're grouped together. Stages one and two are, are part of the same, uh, same part. Stage two, three, and four are part of the same part as our five and six. We'll go through these each week, but it's a lot like a traffic light. When we encounter, when 
change causes my brain to complain. Um, that is kind of, that song leads us through the change cycle. And in stage one and two, we have the red light. When something new happens, we immediately put the brake on. And these are the danger. These are, these are the place where change can stop even before it starts. And that's with loss and doubt, steps one and steps two. As I mentioned a few times, we fear change because we fear loss. And truly only a liar would tell you that nothing is lost when there's a change. Consider my friend who gave up smoking. He gave up a pleasant feeling and a socializing activity, a habit that helped to give some structure and order to his day. Now, yes, quitting smoking has more money in your pocket, better for your health, but the first step is acknowledging that loss. And that loss makes us fearful, and it freezes us in place before we can begin but if we have enough trust to move forward, we move to the second step, which doesn't feel a whole lot better. It's the step where we move to doubt. After we've regained enough composure, and we're not just scared stiff, and then we have some questions, and most of them begin with the word but. But do I really spend that much on cigarettes? Do I, doesn't everyone need a little habit? Doesn't everyone need a little vice? But is it really that bad for my health? Doctors are wrong sometimes. And my grandma lived in 97 and smoked like a chimney. But I don't know if I can do that right now. I am just so stressed. Doubts make us resentful. Other people must be the problem. The problem isn't that big. Change, change. Who needs it? Now, I need you to know, I'm not telling you this to give up smoking. I don't, shame serves nobody. I don't care. But I do need you to hear this. Followers of Jesus have to know how to change. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. So maybe in your life you are ready to let go of an addiction or a habit that is malformed for you. Maybe you are ready to be a spiritual leader for your family and friends. Maybe you're ready to give more of yourself away with sacrificial love. Or maybe you need to put up some boundaries for your time and your energy so you can be the whole person God created you to be. If that's the case, if you want to take up Jesus' offer to live into this abundant life of sacrificial love and an abiding journey of justice, if you want to be changed from the inside out, then you need to know that the first steps are the hardest ones. Because the first steps require that we confront our doubts and our fears. Here's the good news. When John tells Jesus, tells us that Jesus is coming, he's not saying that some guy is out there with a new contract for us to sign, one and done, a service agreement. John tells us who's coming is the God with us. John tells us who's coming is a companion. John tells us some, who's coming is someone who abides with us, strengthens us, and encourages us. Who's coming is a God who takes all of the steps of change with us. The good news is that God has come close in Jesus and still walks with us today, changing us from the inside out. The same Jesus who steps with us into fear, steps with us into doubt, and helps us in that journey as we choose to change. We cannot change until we change both our insides and our outsides. 
And there are many days when I think that John has set up an impossibility, a bar too high. But impossibility is not Jesus' style. The bar is high, yes. But Jesus, this company we keep, is strong enough to give us a boost. To lift us up over the wall. A company is strong enough, powerful enough, kind enough to equip us and stay with us as we change again and again and again. And so in this season of change, that's a message we need to hear again too. We don't change alone. We don't go alone. That's the good news of God. Amen. Amen.